group of people who came to Jesus looking to trick him. And they were called the Sadducees. And um, in this particular instance, they came to Jesus and um, they wanted to, to know about life after death. Now, the Sadducees never believed in life after death. And that's why some commentators say they were, that's why they were sad, you see. But nevertheless, they came to Jesus trying to trick him, asking him about life after death. And Jesus just gave the, gives the most astounding answer about their question. You know, so much so that there is no response. He basically says to them, for you to, to use the word God and no life after death, those two, two things together, I mean, that's a contradiction in terms because God is life. Now, standing in the wings of this whole account, there was another group, the Pharisees. And so when the Sadducees had their turn to try and trick Jesus, none successful, the Pharisees, sorry, the Pharisees stepped up and they sent their best guy, expert of the law, to come and, and, and try his hand in tricking Jesus. So the man comes to Jesus and says to him, Jesus, well, what is the most important commandment in the whole of the law and the whole of the scripture? And Jesus replies, he says this, he says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. He said to the guy, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Needless to say, there was no response. Jesus uh, knocked it out of the park. It was the perfect answer. And the thing that made it the perfect answer is not, not just because of the words that he spoke and the wisdom with which he spoke it, but because he lived it. You know, if ever there was a man, if ever there was a man who, who, who loved God with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind and all of his strength and his neighbor as himself, it is Jesus. And so in this next five weeks, we are entering a series called Apprenticeship. We want to learn from Jesus. We want to become like Jesus when it comes to these things. We also want to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of, us, all of our mind, all of our strength. We want to love our neighbor and we want to love one another. And so please join us as we do this. And just in the wake of the last couple of weeks, we are interested in also asking the question, how does the Spirit of God help us to do this? How does the Spirit of God help us to become like Jesus in these different areas? Good morning, everyone. My name is Devin. If we haven't met before, I'm part of the staff team. And I've got the privilege this morning to, to share our first sermon of this new series called Apprenticeship, Living Out the Shema. And we're going to be looking at loving the Lord our God with all of our hearts this morning. And particularly, we're going to zoom into just one aspect of that, and that is the theme of worship. Worship. Now, when I think about worship, the word worship, and I think about spirit, again, just entertaining the question, how does the spirit help us do this? My mind goes straight to one other story in John chapter 4. You might know this story. It's about a Samaritan woman that Jesus encounters. And so Jesus encounters her, he speaks with her. He wasn't supposed to do that as a Jewish man, or it was just not the, the custom of the day. But he speaks to her nonetheless, and he reveals certain things about her that only Jesus can, the way only Jesus did. And after this exchange, the woman then replies and says, oh, I can see that you are a prophet. And then she turns all religious on him and says, well, we the Samaritans worship on this mountain. And you, the Jews, say, no, 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 you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus then replies to this kind of a random statement that she makes. But he, he replies with this and he says, a day is coming 
when the people of God will not worship him on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He says to a day is coming and has now come when the people of God will worship the father in spirit and in truth. He says, because the father is spirit and such worshipers he seeks, those who come to him and worship him in spirit, capital S, spirit and in truth. And so he makes the link, Jesus makes this link between worship and the spirit. And somehow the spirit helps us, enables us to worship appropriately, to worship from the heart. And so that is the topic for us this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 15. This is the text that Elissa just read for us so well. You know, every week we go through different, different um, scriptures, and we've got sometimes we read it in two different translations or three different translations. Well, this morning, although we've read it, I'm going to read it again because we're going to have two different accents this morning to make sure that you get it. So Ephesians chapter 5. So I want to take you to this particular passage because I think it encapsulates, it, it helps us answer the question of how does the Spirit help us to worship appropriately, to worship, uh, as it were, from the heart, in loving God with all of our hearts. Let's go through it. Be very careful then how you live, Paul says, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what is the Lord's will. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to, the God, to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul starts off in this particular passage, and he, he's, he's urging the Christians at Ephesus, he's saying, be careful how you live. Do not pursue the things like the people of this world is pursuing, the, the type of goals, the type of objectives, these things that have got a temporal joy, that bring temporal, don't pursue them, don't give your life to them, but rather seek the Spirit, rather understand the Lord's will. Well, Jesus just told us in, in Matthew chapter 22 what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, everything that you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, understand the Lord's will. Don't live as if God hasn't give us, given us something to live into. Then verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Paul makes this contrast between the two. He says, don't, don't pursue wine. Don't pursue the, these temporal empty promises of this world, which so often lead to regret, but rather pursue God, pursue the spirit. You see, we know what the consequences of wine is. Paul gives it to us. He says, he says getting drunk on wine leads to debauchery. It leads to a dehumanization of a person where someone loses control of these faculties. He loses control. He, he becomes wild and desolate. He becomes, in, in a sense, like an animal, just losing control of his faculties. He says, no, don't be like that. Don't give yourself to that. You are more than that. Rather, become more human. Become more like Jesus. Become more and live into the image of God as he has created you by being filled with the Spirit. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I quoted him a couple of weeks ago. Now, 
The interesting thing about Lloyd-Jones is he, he qualified firstly as a medical doctor and practiced as a medical doctor in Wales for quite some time. And then afterwards went into, uh, into a more, more full-time type of ministry vocation. And so he's got quite a bit of knowledge on this. And he made this statement about just the contrast between being filled with wine and filled with the spirit. Listen to what he says. He says wine or alcohol, pharmacologically speaking, it's not a stimulant. It is a depressant. Take up any book on pharmacology and look up alcohol and you will find always that it is classified among the depressants. It is not a stimulant. Further, it, it depresses, first and foremost, the highest centers of all in the brain. They control everything that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, the power to assess everything. In other words, everything that makes a man behave at his very best and highest. It suppresses that. It depresses that. What the Spirit does, however, is, is the exact opposite. If it were possible to put the Holy Spirit into a textbook of pharmacology, I would put him, he says, under the stimulants, for that is where he belongs. He really does stimulate. He stimulates our every faculty, our mind, the intellect, the heart, and the will. I think he captures what Paul's after here. He's saying, don't give yourself to these things that are fleeting pleasures, that lead to nothingness. Rather, pursue God. Pursue more of God in your life. Pursue the fullness of the Spirit. If you go back to that verse, verse 18, he says that the, the wording, be filled with the Spirit, that's actually in the present continual tense in the original. And so the King James actually captures this well. It says, he says, be ye being filled, right? Okay, so I never speak like that at home, but you get the picture. It's, it's like a continual thing. You are being filled, being filled. Paul is saying, instead of walking in the ways of this world, walk with the Spirit. That's the wording he uses in chapter 2. Give yourself to that, to intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Obey the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, getting to know the Spirit, obeying Him, and having more of Him in your life. That's what he says. Give yourself to these things, to have more of God in your life, the fullness of the Spirit. Now we know, as I've said, and I will remind you of this, that each Christian has the Holy Spirit in his life. Part of the definition of being a Christian is that you have the Spirit of God. But now we are to walk in fellowship with him, grow in our knowledge and our understanding of him and in our experience of him. Paul's saying, give yourself to this. And then he goes on in verse 19 and says, when you do this, in other words, when we are being filled with the spirit. Now, as I said, different ways that we do that, he says it'll result in something. And here's the main point for this morning. It'll result in spirit inspired, heartfelt worship towards God. In other words, another way to answer the question, how can I love the Lord my God with all of my heart? Paul is saying to us this morning, be filled with the Spirit because the Spirit changes us. The Spirit takes our affections and places it upon the Father. He makes us love God more. Listen to what he says. Some of the results now of being filled with the Spirit is, in one word, worship. Paul now in verse 19 and, and onwards, verse 20 and 21, gives us different, different forms of worship that'll, that'll automatically, naturally flow out of the Spirit-filled life. Let's go through them this morning. Verse 19, 
He says, after being filled with the Spirit continually, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Now, it's quite clear that the Spirit inspires us. He gives us joy. He pulls our affections towards God. He gives us a love for God. And in, out of that place, songs come forth. Thanksgiving comes forth. Uh, submission to one another comes for all these forms of worship comes out of this heart that has been touched and moved by the Spirit. He starts off by saying, speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns. That word speaking to one another could be translated as singing. Most of this verse is about singing. It's the same word, singing and speaking. But it's also the same word that's being used for the sound of an instrument. So you get the idea, he, it's, it's a speaking to one, one another. The better translation would be a singing to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But Paul's not interested in the, in the particulars. He's not interested in the, the minor details. What Paul's interested in, he's saying when you come together as, as people who are just drenched with the Spirit, people who walk with the Spirit, he's saying when you come together, we have to give an opportunity for us to express this joy that's in us. We need to give an opportunity for us to express worship to God. And he's saying you can do this by singing with one another, psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, whatever it might be. That's his interest. And so songs, in a sense, it becomes this, the, the vehicle of expression. It becomes a vehicle of, to, for us to express our spirit-inspired affections or worship towards God. Now, this is not something strange or something new. There's nothing new under the sun. Historically, people have always done this. J.W. Thompson from the Holman Bible Dictionary said this. He's singing, saying, uh, singing of spiritual songs was a part of the early Christian church just as much as it was part of, of all the different uh, ancient religions. In other words, making music and singing was just part of the fabric of, you, of humanity right from the start, and especially in Christianity. Tertullian, the, uh, the, the historian in 150 AD, made this comment, speaking about the Christians and when they gathered, just gives us a glimpse as to what they did. He said this, that, that when the Christians had their love feasts, so they, they used to call it love feasts, their gatherings, they would take the Lord's Supper, and they would meet together, and they would rejoice in the Lord. But then after this, they would bring water for cleansing. They would bring lights, which obviously they weren't, didn't have electricity. And then each one was invited, he says, to sing in the presence of the others what he knows from the Holy Scriptures or from his own heart. So you get the idea right from the start in Christianity, Tertullian gives us this picture that people were a singing people. And the reason Paul tells us they were a singing people is because they were filled with the spirit. Their hearts needed to be expressed. They had this thing in them. They cannot. It's almost like Jeremiah. Remember Jeremiah? Jeremiah said this. He says, I have to speak the words of God because it is burning in my bones. In a similar way, music, song, these things give us a way of expressing our, uh, the overflow of our hearts. You know, you can link it back to Christian worship, ancient Christian worship, further back to the Jews, even further back to other ancient practices. And the fact of the matter is this, that music is a way for us to express joy. Is that not true? It, it's a way for us to express joy. You know, one of my earliest 
memories as a child, 1995. Now, I'm a sports fan. And um, 1995, South Africa won the rugby. That's a sport. It's a, it's, a, it's a sport similar to American football, but it's not American. And it's also better than that. So you don't have all the padding. There's no, there's not, no so much, you know, there's not a, as many breaks. They, they actually play. Uh, so it's different in many ways. And South Africa is pretty good at that. And so in 1995, we won the World Cup for the first time, became world champions. And um, I remember distinctly, I think I was seven years old at that stage. I remember after, after the final, we all got in cars, drove through the town. We had our flags, we had our jerseys on. I mean, we, we didn't know each other from a soap of bar, but yet we sang together. There was, I mean, we weren't even Welsh. But we were singing together because our hearts were filled with joy. We were going, Shazaloza. Now, I'm not going to sing all of that. Now, and even to this day, I don't know what we sang. I don't even know what it meant. But the fact was this. Our hearts were just, it was just overflowing. We had joy. And so we sang. And Paul's giving a similar, he's giving a similar, he's painting a similar picture. As we are filled with the Spirit, there's joy. There's overflowing of this, this affections towards God and song then becomes a vehicle for us to do that. He's saying, use Psalms, use hymns, use spiritual songs. These are, some commentators seem to think it's the same thing, but, but most agree that it's not. Psalms speaks about these sacred poems, the book of Psalms that the Jews used to sing. Hymns speak about songs of praise. Um, and so the, the ancient theologian Augustine defined him as, it's a song of praise to God. And when you look at even the New Testament and different literature, you just find these fragments of hymns that the early church, that the early church had. So they, they not only sang the Psalms like the Jews, they also had these hymns that they wrote inspired as they were moved by the Spirit. I mean, verse 14, the one just before the one we looked at this morning, that was part of a fragment of a hymn. First uh, Timothy 3.16 again fragments of a hymn you could just see them singing this he appeared in the flesh and then someone else was vindicated by the spirit was seen by angels was preached among the nations was believed on in the world was taken up in glory this was part of a song this was a way for them to express their spirit inspired hearts affections towards god and then there were spiritual songs which is a similar thing as people were inspired by the spirit, they wrote, wrote songs that gave them the opportunity to naturally burst forth and express their hearts of worship to God. Now, it's not only an ancient practice, and I know we're hammering on singing quite a bit this morning because we do it a lot, and I want this to be theologically grounded. It's not only an ancient practice, it'll also be a practice for the future. Listen to this. John tells us in, in Revelations chapter 5 and, in verse, and, and 14, he says this, that when we get to heaven, we are also going to sing. In other words, song, uh, songs of praise and worship and adoration, it will continue to be this vehicle for us to express our hearts of love and affection and gratitude towards God. Revelations 5 verse 9 says, this is now coming in the future. It says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God, God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 14, another picture of this. It says, and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. 
No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed on the earth. Now, don't get into that too much this morning. We don't have time for that. But you get the picture? So song is this way for us. As the Spirit moves us and, and pulls our affections to God, we get to, 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 um, to express what we feel in our hearts. Friends, this is the point I'm making this morning. Jesus is saying worshipers will come, and these are the worshipers that God seeks, as those who come to worship him in spirit and in truth. Paul then tells us that with the spirit, as we are filled and for by the spirit, we will be moved by the spirit. Our affections will be drawn to God. Our hearts will be made to love him more as we encounter more of him. And from that place, we will express ourselves. You find the same thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, before we move on to the to the last couple of points. We know in first, and, and there's potential for us to go into this book later on in the year. We still need to decide that. But the main point of this book, 1 Corinthians, is Paul is writing into, he's writing to a spirit-filled church, people who are filled with the spirit, but there needs to be some sort of order, right? And so a lot of what he writes, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, all of these things is to bring some, just a little bit of order uh, as to what's happening in these places, because the people were filled with the Spirit. They were inspired by the Spirit. They had these affections, this joy in their hearts that was overflowing. Listen to what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. You see, one of the consequences, one of the results of being filled with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, growing in your intimacy with Him, is He inspires you, as I said. So some of these people in Corinth came with a hymn that they got from Him, some with a word of instruction, some had a wonderful revelation out of this walk with the Spirit, some had a tongue or an interpretation, but the issue was when they came together, they were so, so eager now to come and express what they felt inside of them, this heartfelt worship, that it became chaos. You had two people, two people praying out loud. You had three prophesying. You had two praying in tongues all together and just became difficult to follow. So Paul's saying, listen, if an unbeliever steps into your gathering, he's going to think you're crazy. And he doesn't rebuke them for being spirit-filled or being inspired, but he says, there's got to be some sort of order. Don't lose your minds. You can still control yourself. And so a similar thing in 1 Corinthians 14 Verse 15, where Paul says, I can sing with my spirit and there's a singing with his understanding. So there's this singing with the spirit where you are inspired by the spirit just to sing what he puts in your heart as an expression of worship. I wonder this morning if Paul had, a, had to write a, a letter to us, to North America, to the West, would he have to write 1 Corinthians of trying to bring order? Because people are spirit-inspired and they are now just expressing themselves in so many different ways. My thinking is we probably won't have to. We are so bent on order that we've, that we've lost the emphasis on being filled with the spirit. Nevertheless, song gives us the opportunity to express ourselves. John Piper makes this comment before we move on. He says, we are a singing people. And there's a reason for this. The reality of God and Christ and creation and salvation and heaven and hell 
are simply too great for mere speaking. They must also be sung. This means that the reality of God and his work is so great that we are not merely to think truly about it, but also feel duly about it. Think truly and feel duly. That is, feel with the kind of depth and intensity of emotion that is appropriate to the reality that is truly known. You see, Paul gave them this instruction. As you be filled with the Spirit, walk with the Holy Spirit in communion, grow in your fellowship with him. Just get to know him more. And as you do that and he fills you and, and, and you encounter more of him in your life, you'll be filled with joy and you'll express yourself in all these ways. And he says, know this, that when Paul writes about singing, it's not just embroidery, you know, as a part of the Christian life. It's actually a part of, it's actually a practice of the Christian faith. It forms us. As we come together, we express our hearts together. It, it forms us, it shapes us, it instructs us as we do this together. Let's move on to the last two verses. And so you get the idea with living a spirit-filled life, there will be this expression of song. But then he also mentions two other things, as, as two, two other aspects of worship. One is singing and expressing, you know, uh, just the affections of our hearts. But now he also says this in verse 20 and 21, also giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Part of this worship that comes from being inspired by the Spirit is, is, a, is, a, is a thankful heart. You know, so part of this overflow is not only songs, but it's also thanksgiving. I tell you what, you'll never find a murmuring spirit-filled Christian. Again, the two, it's a contradiction of terms. They cannot stand together. As we are filled with the Spirit, we are filled with joy and murmuring ceases. And thanksgiving takes its place. And lastly, Paul mentions this thing, submit to one another. You know, part of, it, part of our worship then to God, as we are filled with the Spirit, is, is to submit to one another. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a posture of humility, saying, listen, I, I don't need to prove myself. I can be myself, and I can love you, and you can love me, and we can submit ourselves to one another, and we can worship God together and through our conduct with each other. And so you get the idea. So with the spirit, friends, in conclusion this morning, we worship with the help of the spirit. There's no other way. If we want to truly worship God with all of our hearts and not just lip service, we need the spirit of God in our lives. And as we walk with him in fellowship and, and we obey him and we grow in our knowledge of him and we are filled with more and more continually, our hearts will overflow with joy and the expression of that joy will be worship in the form of song, in the form of thanksgiving, and in the, form, in, the, in the form of humility, submitting to one another. Amen.